Let's stand together, brothers and sisters, for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through to verse 7. Uh, We'll be focusing there on verse 6. Uh, The title of today's sermon is, His Name Will Be Called Prince of Peace. Uh, Please listen very carefully because this is God's holy and infallible Word. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen, amen. Please be seated. So after sin entered the world in the garden, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Peace with God was lost there as the kingdom of darkness was born into this world. The devil's kingdom, this kingdom of darkness, it is a kingdom that has a reign based upon lies and deception leading to conflict and death. And this is the estate of sin and misery into which this world fell. The dark noise of death's kingdom entered in at that time. The lying angel, the devil, denies God's glory and destroys peace between man And God, and heaven's song fades from our souls, is their way back. Must we always hide from God? Must we always come up with man-made solutions to our brokenness and our alienation, our loneliness, our lack of peace, both internal and external? The polarization and brokenness of this world grips and shakes us almost daily. Let's not pretend 
that when we look around, it looks like a world of peace ruled by the Prince of Peace. Societal, political, and financial fragmentation screams aloud from every corner. This world of theft and deception and death appears to have sway. Drawing many into dehumanizing thoughts and speech. This ugliness that characterizes our day. This conflict that is present all over the world. How often do we read of killings and violence and bloodshed and warfare in our earth? This world looks like a place of conflict, not like a place of peace. What is your soul like? Would you describe your soul as a place of peace? Are we being drawn into the conflict that is around us? Are we hearing the voice of the world and is it entering into our soul? Are we being discipled by this world of conflict? Are our souls more a reflection of the voice of this world or of heaven's voice? Will we hear the voice of our prince? Will we hear the voice of peace? What song is the song in your soul? What song do you hear? Who is singing to your soul? What song will you sing to others? How many of us, brothers and sisters, really dwell in peace? Let's just start with a glance inside How would you describe your soul? Is it a storm or is it a a sweet sunrise? What is your soul like most days? Are your relationships strong and growing, singing a song of love and beauty, or are they tenuous and stressed? Is your marriage a solace and a comfort growing more so every day? What is family life? like for you within your home? Is it a place where the aroma of grace is abounding and where those who draw near to you are drawn near to Christ and His peace? What is this church like? Is our church a place of peace where we are dwelling together in joyful unity? Do we have a church of peace that appears to be under the reign of the Prince of Peace? How about our community and our neighborhoods, your place of work? What do you bring into this world when you go there? What is the aroma of your life? Is it peace? Is it this joy that is ours in Christ? Oh, brothers and sisters, on this day after Christmas... When we celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace, does peace mark your soul, your marriage, your family, our church, and our interactions with this world? Is that the light that we bring to the world? Are we receiving and expressing the Prince of Peace in our lives? The goal of today's sermon would be that we would say yes and amen more so.
as a result of hearing God's word today. Matthew Henry says about this text, he is the prince of peace. As a king, he preserves the peace, commands the peace, nay, he creates the peace in his kingdom. He is our peace. And it is his peace that both keeps the hearts of his people and rules in them. He is not only a peaceable prince and his reign peaceable, but he is the author and giver of all good, all that peace which is the present and future bliss of his subjects. So today we'll talk about the Prince of Peace as he is presented to us in the ninth chapter of Isaiah. We'll look at some scenes of peace as peace arrives in the earth, earth uh, during this Christmas message. We'll look at peace one and see uh, the prince on the cross and the way that he brings peace to us, restoring to us what has been lost, our peace with God. And the reign of peace as Christ our Lamb was enthroned and the peace being received as he speaks to us from his word and draws us into peace and that he is our peace, uh, pouring out his spirit upon us and this beautiful uh, two metaphors we see in Psalm 133, the holy oil and the dew on Mount Hermon. And then some questions to know and to love and to obey God. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with justice, with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This prophesied child is Christ the Lord, born in crowded, overfull Bethlehem, not born within a dwelling for people, but in a stable made for animals, not laid into a cradle, but into a manger. Peace arrives. We need to note all that he has described in this text. We will be focusing on the Prince of Peace. But look at all he is. His name is Wonderful. His name is Counselor. His name is Mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. And his name is Prince his reign of peace, we need to see it flows from all of his glorious character described to us here in this text. It's as if this reign of peace is the inevitable outcome, the, the absolute invincible ramification of all that we see that he is. Calvin says, now to apply this for our own instruction, whenever any distrust arises and all means of escape are taken away from us. Whenever, in short, it appears to us that everything is in a ruinous condition, let us recall to our remembrance what Christ is called. This world appears to be in a ruinous condition. 
perhaps you would agree with me that when you look into your soul, when I look in my soul, when you look in your soul, does it appear ruinous? Does it feel ruinous? Well, let's remember Jesus. Listen to Calvin. Wonderful. Because he has inconceivable methods of assisting us and because his power is far beyond what we are able to conceive. When we need counsel, let us remember that he is the counselor. When we need strength, let us remember that he is mighty and strong. When new terrors spring up suddenly every instant and when many deaths threaten us from various quarters, let us rely on that eternity of which he is with good reason called the Father. And by the same comfort, let us learn to soothe all of our temporal distresses. When we are inwardly tossed by various tempests, and when Satan attempts to disturb our consciences, let us remember that Christ is the Prince of Peace, and that it is easy for him quickly to allay all our uneasy feelings. Thus will these titles confirm us more and more in the faith of Christ and fortify us against Satan and against hell itself. So we're told that Jesus, this child born to us, this son given to us, that he is the Prince of Peace. What is this peace? What is its extent an outcome when you have this peace, what happens? Well, there's an inner wholeness that takes place. The concept of shalom is that which is apart being brought together in integrity into wholeness. It includes a quiet conscience based upon the knowledge of sure favor with God. And it is a mighty peace that survives and conquers all the adversities that we face in our lives. Calvin says, this is the last title and the prophet declares by it that the coming of Christ will be the cause of full and perfect happiness or at least of calm and blessed safety. So here we see Calvin taking and expanding, showing us the fuller meaning of this word and the ideas attached with it. In the Hebrew language, peace often signifies prosperity. For all blessings, not one is better. For of all blessings, not one is better or more desirable than peace. The general meaning is that all who submit to the dominion of Christ will lead a quiet and blessed life in obedience to Him. Hence it follows that life without this king is restless and it is miserable. But we must also take into consideration the nature of this peace. It is the same with that of the kingdom, for it resides chiefly in the consciences. Otherwise we must be engaged in incessant conflicts and liable to daily attacks. Not only, therefore, does he promise outward peace, but that peace by which we return to the state of favor with God, who were formerly at enmity with him. 
Justified by faith, says Paul, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1 Now when Christ shall have brought composure to our minds, there's a good way of thinking of this peace. He brings composure to our minds. The same spiritual peace will hold the highest place in our hearts. This is a great treasure to all those who have received it. So that we will patiently endure every kind of adversity and from the same fountain will likewise flow outward prosperity, which is nothing else than the effect of the blessing of God. Brothers and sisters, we have been brought back into the shining favor of God. Now this kingdom is sure and solid. The Prince of Peace reigns over an eternal kingdom and it is always increasing. Now do you feel like you need for peace to always be increasing within your soul? I do. Well, he tells us that his kingdom and his peace are always increasing. Now, that is in contrast to the kingdoms of this world and the things that are available to us from this world that offer to us some sort of inner satisfaction and lasting, sturdy wellness. Calvin says, to the increase of the government, there will be no end. He begins to explain and confirm what he had formerly said, that Christ is the Prince of Peace by saying that his government is extended to every age and is perpetual, that there will be no end to the government or to peace. This was also repeated by Daniel, who predicts that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Gabriel also alluded to it when he carried the message to the virgin. And he gave the true exposition of this passage. For it cannot be understood to refer to any other than to Christ. He shall reign, says he, over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. We see that the mightiest governments of this world, as if they had been built on a slippery foundation, are unexpectedly overturned and suddenly fall. How fickle and changeable all the kingdoms under heaven are. We learn from history and from daily examples. This government alone is unchangeable and eternal. <clears throat> and this peace will last forever. It is not a transient gift. It cannot uh, lose its luster. It cannot uh, shrink. It is always increasing. Calvin says, to the government, he adds the eternity of the peace, for the one cannot be separated from the other. So we see that the kingdom and the peace go hand in hand, lasting forever and ever. It is impossible that Christ should be king without also keeping his people in calm and blessed peace and enriching them with every blessing. But as they are daily exposed to innumerable vexations, endure fierce attacks and are tossed and perplexed by fears and anxieties, they ought to cultivate that peace of Christ, which holds the highest place in their hearts 
that they may remain unhurt and may even retain their composure amidst the destruction of the whole world. So we read in Psalm 46 of mountains falling down. We read through scriptures that even though the earth would melt away, the kingdom of peace dwelling within us by Christ cannot be shaken. We have been brought into this kingdom of peace by our Prince of Peace. So, when Isaiah wrote this prophecy to Judah and Israel, about 700 years before Christ was born, the Holy Spirit told at that time of the coming Son of God, yes, Jesus Christ, who would bring a kingdom of peace from heaven to destroy the devil's reign. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And there were those who were waiting for this Messiah. The peace of Christ appears to us in um, a less obvious way when Zacharias prophesies there in Luke chapter 1, the end of the prophecy in verse 79 saying, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This way of peace. Zacharias is hearkening back to the words regarding the Prince of Peace and that he would come and lead us. See, Zacharias is the father of John the Baptist and his tongue had been silenced for a while while John was in the womb. He learns, or or God grants him his speech again and he can talk. And and in this beautiful um, section here in Luke chapter 1, he traces the covenant promise of God from the beginning of the world through Abraham and David down to the Messiah who would deliver them from the devil's work, from all of their enemies, and lead them out of darkness and death into the way of peace. The way of the Messiah is here called the way of peace. Listen to Zechariah's words. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, speaking now of of His Son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge and salvation to His people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring that is Christ, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Who gives the light? Jesus. To guide our feet into the way of peace. What other scenes of peace appear to us surrounding Christ's birth? Well, the angels sing 
there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The multitude of these angels cry out, praising God there. The shepherds, what a great show they got that day. (laughs) The devil's garden lies are being undone, and the angels of God rejoice, and they praise God. The lies in the garden that brought brokenness and death are undone by the Prince of Peace. And these angels, these faithful angels, shine forth this song. This multitude. He is the only God. And He is to have the highest glory. Do you see the contrast here between the devil in the garden and these great and wonderful angels praising God in the midst of glory? And God will have the final word, not the devil. The child born to us, brothers and sisters, brings heaven's peace to earth again. God expresses his goodwill toward men as Christ, our peace, arrives. Simeon can now die in peace. He has been told that he would see the Messiah the one spoken of in Isaiah and so many other Old Testament texts. He's waiting for the Messiah. He's been told he would see the Messiah with his own eyes before he died. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. So the peace of God now comes to Simeon in the fulfillment of God's promise to him. Simeon, he saw the Messiah child just as God had promised him that he would see him. And what is the result of this? Peace is the result. The fruit of seeing Christ. Peace. And you see here clearly that Simeon's death is not anywhere near in his mind. What this peace is. Death. The death, your death, your future death, cannot touch the peace of Christ. 
when death is approaching you, it cannot touch the peace that is yours in Christ. Well, this peace was won for us upon the cross. The Prince of Peace was placed upon the cross of woe. And we see an example of this peace, really the first example in, in the New Testament age of this peace. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Think about what's happening here on the cross. This man has been reconciled to God through Christ's sacrifice for him occurring right then. On Christ's cross, enmity with God was destroyed for all who trust in Christ, beginning here with this man in the New Testament age. As that criminal died upon his cross, his cross, cross that he was placed on the cross of a real criminal, his sins were not imputed to him. His sins were placed upon Christ as he received Christ's righteousness. It's as if Christ said, I am now taking all of your sin upon myself. And I am now giving to you all of my righteousness. And I will now suffer the hell that you deserve. So that you can come and enjoy the heaven that I have earned. He is our Prince of Peace. He has brought us back into favor with God. He has restored the shining countenance of God our Father to us. You see, Christ, He is our peace. When we look to Christ upon the cross, we have to see that He's not just our Prince of Peace giving us peace. He is and He does. But He Himself, He is our peace. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him... We both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being to, built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. 
Jews and Gentiles brought together in Christ. And if Jew and Gentile can be brought together, there's no brokenness that cannot be fixed. There's no human difficulty that cannot be overcome. Whether it's uh, the current Palestinian and Jewish situation in the Middle East or whether it's the polarization that you can think of in America or other places, uh, the great hatreds that exist in this world. Jew and Gentile brought together in Christ, now with joint access to the Father in Christ, in His body. He is our peace, His body. So all humanity now having access to God in Christ. And with the way of peace now available to all, not only reconciled to God, listen to the outcome in human relationships, but now brought together in unity, in community, and in synergistic service as living stones being built together as a holy temple in the Lord for a dwelling place of God by His Spirit being poured out. The favor that we have restored to us by the Prince of Peace before God is now favor that we share together with one another that is ours in Him. Christ is the reigning Prince of Peace. Peace is reigning in Christ's kingdom over the earth. Not all have submitted to this reign, but all will. Christ is bringing His reign of peace more and more into each of our hearts and more and more into this world. Let's look again at Revelation 5, which we've read many times from this pulpit. Because this is the Lamb of God taking His throne in heaven. And note the restoration of peace that is ours because he was slain. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand. And thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. After Christ conquered death upon the cross, after he was raised up from the grave by his father, he was carried up into heaven. And we see this vision that was given to John when he came into his place. The throne of grace. By his death on the cross, Christ has reconciled us, his people, to God. These are things that we know in our mind. We've been redeemed, bought back from the devil. We, in our sin, were owned by him. And Christ exchanged himself for us. We've been redeemed. And now we are made able by him to work together as his representatives in the earth. Reigning in his kingdom of peace with him. Do you see that? We shall reign on the earth. We are those who are his representatives. Because of our peace with God, we can have peace with one another and enjoy together the work and the worship of the kingdom of God. This is all so easy to say and so rare to see. So easy to understand and yet so rare to experience in our lives. Our prince speaks to us from heaven about peace. And in Ephesians 4, this bond of peace that we are to strive for and the experience that we go through of synergy in community and unity, the joyful dwelling together that is ours. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave, and, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equip, equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, 
from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace is ours in Christ, the Prince of Peace. It is ours. And we are called to endeavor, to strive, to be diligent to keep this unity that is ours in Christ. And please note the connection to lowliness and to gentleness and long-suffering and the requirement to bear with one another if we are to continue to dwell in this peace that that is ours. O Christ our peace and he brings this about in us and through us he is devoted to seeing this occur in his church and just like we see him tending the lampstands of the seven churches there in revelation he's still active today bringing about this growth in his people so that we can not just talk about the Prince of Peace, but that we can know him and we can experience the peace that he has for us and live it out and see the blessings of it. Christ poured out heaven's peace from the throne of grace. I want to emphasize something about Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Note the immediately unifying outcome of the Holy Spirit. These people can now all understand one another. The divisions of multiple languages overcome immediately. This is an amazing miracle. Of course, it's demonstrating the day of Pentecost having victory over the division that was caused when many languages came at the Tower of Babel. But it is, it is a part for the whole. True or false? It is a greater thing for God to do the miracle in your soul that you would hate sin and love Him and serve others in genuine love than for you to speak miraculously in other tongues. It would seem like that is a greater miracle. I don't see necessarily here any sin being necessarily needing to be overcome by the outpouring of the Spirit. He just gives them miraculous power to speak in other languages. Perhaps I'm missing that. But this, I think, is a picture of something much, much bigger that the Holy Spirit is about in our lives. And that is bringing us together together in his work, able to bring the language of love, if you will, to all men. 
I don't think that's a stretch to see peace demonstrated in destroying language barriers. Let's look at Psalm 133. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to um, Pastor uh, Peter Allison's uh, teaching that he gave in August of 2014. I sent it, I think I sent it out to everyone. And if you have time, listen to it. It's uh, about minute mark 8 through minute mark 28. It's a 20-minute teaching on Psalm 133, and uh, I went back and listened to it, <clears throat> just kind of in preparation for this next year and in preparation for today's sermon. I hope you will listen to it. Um, it's good teaching on this uh, psalm. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. We are to behold, we are to take note, we're to stop and marvel when this occurs. When you see this happening, you are to stop and say, whoa, look at that. Well, what is it? That fallen sinners can enjoy one another all their days. Indeed, that they can all their days desire to be together as God's people doing His will. And that they can stay together and grow together and enjoy more and more peace together throughout all the days of their lives. Take note of this when you see this happening. That's how it starts. Matthew Henry says, <clears throat> what it is that is commended, brethren's dwelling together in unity, not only not quarreling and devouring one another, but delighting in, in each other with mutual endearments and promoting each other's welfare with mutual services. Sometimes it is chosen as the best expedient for preserving peace that brethren should live asunder and at a distance from each other. Well, that indeed may prevent enmity and strife, but the goodness and the pleasantness are for, for brethren to dwell together and so to dwell in unity, <clears throat> to dwell even as one, as some so read it, as having one heart, one soul, one interest. So this points to the proximity factor of the unity of the people of God that occurs. The people of God want to be close to one another. The people of God don't like it when it takes an hour to travel to the other person's house or hours to travel back and forth to one another's home. The people of God do not like it that we cannot easily see one another regularly. Now, don't mis mistake proximity for unity because proximity without love is just strife. But when there's proximity and there's love, this peace comes forth and the world says, those are the disciples of Christ. And how do they know? Their love for one another. So this is what happens. This is why we hear stories like what happened at Heritage Church when they're in Atlanta and they've got the whole commuting thing going on. Praise God for cars. This is not a sermon against cars or the modern transportation. But what has it done to us? 
in a lot of ways, proximity is now a problem. So what did they do? They were intentional because of their love for each other. They wanted to be close. They wanted to be near to one another. Look at family plans that we have. Look at dreams that we have in our families. We long to be close to our our children and our grandchildren and to grow together with them throughout the ages. This is the natural course of things when we are walking in the Lord. Now, of course, the Lord takes some to other places. That's a part of what he does. But the natural flow is for brethren to want to dwell together in unity. And that doesn't just mean on Sunday. That means... Oh, hey, we're out of sugar. Can somebody run over to the Peatmans and grab some sugar for me, please? Well, no, because I have to drive an hour and a half or however, however far it is. And so you see what I'm talking about. We want to be able to help each other and be together and live our lives together near to one another. In Centerville, they call this an epicenter that begins to develop where proximity is no longer a problem to where they can live their lives together in spontaneity, in organic connection to one another, in and out. Brothers and sisters, this has been so destroyed that we don't even, we tend to not even imagine that it can happen anymore. But Christendom, and even the history of our nation, was built upon such places, and such communities, where they longed to see one another. I miss you guys from Sunday to Sunday. I want to see you more. And I want to be the kind of person that you would say the same thing about. And that we would always all have that kind of drawing together desire so that we can strengthen and move out more and more and be more of a light to the world around us. We need each other's encouragement. We need each other's strength. Well, what is this compared to when this is happening? Well, first of all, it's precious oil. Listen to this uh, beautiful scripture uh, or beautiful words from Matthew Henry about this. You know that this was the oil that was used in the temple. And uh, our communion and our union with one another, it's like this. Matthew Henry says, It is fragrant as the holy anointing oil, which was strongly perfumed and diffused its odors to the great delight of all the bystanders, when it was poured upon the head of Aaron or his successor, the high priest, so plentifully that it ran down the face, even to the collar or binding of the garment. This ointment was holy. So he's making his points for us now, our points of application and understanding. So must our brotherly love be with a pure heart devoted to God. We must love those that are begotten for his sake that begat. Number two. This ointment was a composition made up by a divine dispensatory. God appointed the ingredients and the quantities. Thus believers are taught of God to love one another. It is a grace of his working in us. And so the diverse components of the oil there compared to the diverse uh, ways that God calls us to love one another and the various gifts that we have been given to be able to love one another in all these various ways. It was very precious. This is number three. It was very precious, and the like to it was not to be made for any common use. Thus, holy love is in the sight of God a great price, and that is precious indeed, which is so 
in God's sight. And so let us, uh, let us put a, a proper value on this peace, this union and communion that we have in Christ that we can experience together. Four, it was grateful both to Aaron himself and to all about him. So is holy love. It is like ointment and perfume which rejoice the heart. Christ's love to mankind was part of that oil of gladness with which he was anointed above his fellows. And five, Aaron and his sons were not admitted to minister unto the Lord till they were anointed with this ointment. Nor are our services acceptable to God without this holy love. If we have it not, then we are nothing. Next we see the dew from Mount Hermon. These are precious metaphors that God gives to us. This uh, is dew that brings life to the mountains of Zion, we're told. Matthew Henry says it is fructifying, (laughs) fructifying, meaning it brings fruit, it causes life, it causes growth. It is profitable as well as pleasing. It is as the dew. It brings abundance of blessings along with it, as numerous as the drops of dew. It cools the scorching heat of men's passions, as the evening dews cool the air and refresh the earth. It contributes very much to our fruitfulness in everything that is good. It moistens the heart and makes it tender and fit to receive the good seed of the word. As on the contrary, malice and bitterness unfit us to receive it. It is as the dew of Hermon, a common hill, for brotherly love is the beauty and benefit of civil societies, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, a holy hill, for it contributes greatly to the fruitfulness of sacred societies. Both Hermon and Zion will wither without this dew. It is said of the dew that it tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men, nor should our love to our brethren stay for theirs to us. That is publican's love. But should go before it, that is divine love. So the dew comes to us from heaven on days when we are in love and in peace towards God and the dew comes to us from heaven on bad days as well. And uh, this must define our love for one another also. Flowing forth from God to one another. Uh, Not based on who you are or how you've treated me lately, but based upon who God is. Well, brothers and sisters, as the Lord continues to pour out His Holy Spirit upon us, let us walk in His Spirit Let us receive the peace that comes to us from the Prince of Peace. Watching out for those things that can derail the experience of the peace that is ours in Christ, our Prince of Peace. Now we've experienced it. We've all seen Christian communities torn apart by division. Where everything that I've just described to you that we long for and long to see uh, goes through a riotous tearing and a bloody, ugly, damaging experience is observed by all. And it's not just here. Of course, you know when I say bloody, I mean spiritually. The harm that is done to the bride of Christ when things like this happen. And I've seen it in other places, as have you in other churches. Why does this happen? Didn't I just teach us? Didn't the Word of God just tell us that we have a Prince of Peace? a child unto us, a son given to us, 
whose death upon the cross restores our favor with God and our favor with one another, who pours out a Holy Spirit from heaven that is like oil, that is like dew, and that is more powerful than our sin, and who reigns, and who is reigning, and whose kingdom will have no end, and of its increase of peace and of its kingdom there shall be... Didn't we just talk about that? Well, what in the world is wrong then? Well, if you've got a mirror, take it out and look, because there's your problem right there. Look, if I had my mirror, I'd look in my mirror. There's our problem. Problem's not with Jesus. Problem's not with the prince. The problem's not with his kingdom. The problem is not with his peace. The problem is not with his spirit. The problem is not with his word. The problem is not with his means of grace. The problem is right in the mirror. It's you and me. And so if we desire to walk in the peace that is ours, then we must watch out for the things that break that peace. Oh, what are those things? Well, listen to the Word of God. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away lying Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So, deceitful lusts, lying, sinful anger, theft, Corrupt speech, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. This is, these are the transaction commodities in the devil's kingdom. And I'll bet if we were to sit down and go through any church split that has ever happened, you could track it back. Somewhere here to these things. But instead, we put on love. Instead, we put on love, brothers and sisters. Truth, forgiveness, generosity, good words that build up. We go for that peace. We pursue the peace that God has given to us. It is ours and we pursue it patience, long-suffering with one another, kindness, tender-heartedness, looking to Christ always. So when we're walking in the kingdom of peace, with the Prince of Peace, under His Spirit and His Word, when our sin comes in and threatens this peace, we will we'll immediately, the odor of that will 
immediately get our attention. And we'll go, oh, wait a minute. The peace of Christ is threatened. And we will quickly repent of our sins and say, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. And we'll look to ourselves and we'll humble ourselves with the lowliness and the long-suffering and the humility that is necessary to continue to walk in peace. It's ours. It's from Him. He's promised to give it. And if we open our hearts and our minds and our arms to Him and cry out to Him, He will, he will give us. He will give us more and more of His peace. So does, does peace characterize your soul? I don't think, I mean, I don't feel that in my soul. Most days, that's not how I feel. I feel broken up inside. I feel anxious. I feel worried. Pray for me. Pray for one another. Are your relationships peaceable? Is, do disagreements mark your relationships? Or does agreement and accord tend to mark your relationships? Certainly we'll go through times where we don't agree and we work through things. That's a part of walking as a Christian. But does disagreement mark your relationships? Is that characteristic of your conversations? Are your relationships peaceable with one another? Look around here in this church. Just kind of take a look around, please. Do you see the peace of Christ here in our assembly? I mean, when you think through our relationships and the relationships that you have, with one another, yeah, it's getting kind of real. Like he's making us look around and think about what's really going on in our midst. Because you know what? If there's any pretending going on, let's just quit it. Right? Let's grow up in real peace. I'm not saying I know of anything. I don't. But that's, we, we, need, we need reality together. And that, that means, wow, the peace of Christ is really available to us in all the difficulties that we may face together in our relationships. And of course, that's going to be working together, doing things together. When we have friction, it's going to be bearing with one another. When we sin against each other, it's going to be confessing our sin to one another and growing up together in Christ. It's going to have all the components of healthy Christian living as we work together in the kingdom. And I want to just give praise and thanks to God that when I give church reports, I say to the other elders, it appears to me that Christ is blessing foothills with peace. That's, that's what it appears to me. And I give thanks and praise to God at the end of this year for that reality. Next is a question I think all of us want to ask ourselves, and we really take this question to God. Is sin in your life grieving God's spirit? There's a long list of things there. There's other scriptures I could have referenced. But we can grieve God's spirit and that can certainly hinder our experience of peace together with one another. Each one of us. Me, you, each one of us. Well, brothers and sisters, finally let's end on a note of a hopeful prayer. Because Christ our Lord, He loves us. He died for us. And He will grant to us this that we desire so much. We read about this in Psalm 133. We desire to have that experience more and more within us and together in our midst with one another, we desire this more and more. Let's pray for one another. Let's make that a mark of this next year that we would pray to experience more and more of the peace of Christ together as his people in our own souls, in our relationships with one another, in our relationship in the church, 
and in our synergistic work together as the Lord may bless us with more and more relationships uh, to serve him in this world. Um, he will bless us to this end, I believe. It is pleasing to him to answer such a prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you, O oh God, for the Prince of Peace and for the peace that is ours with you that you have restored us to your favor and that in Christ we can enjoy one another and that we can bear with each other and forgive one another and grow up in our love for one another more and more. Thank you for the love and the peace that you have given to us already, O oh God. Bless us, we pray, with a greater outpouring from your throne experiencing your love and walking in your favor and walking more and more in the peace with one another like the oil on Aaron's beard, like the dew on Mount Hermon. Oh, bless us to this end, we pray, Father. Our hearts cry out to you. In Jesus' name.